0: You're listening to the Cheer Biz Podcast, where we dive into the business of running and owning your gym. Join us as we speak to industry experts, business gurus, and discuss how we can take your passion and turn it into profit. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today I am sitting down with another... Major name who has been in cheer for a really long time, the man, the myth, the legend, Les Stella. Now, some of you may not know him. You may be a little bit newer in the industry. uh, But for me, who came up in the cheer industry when the USASF was founded, I was coaching. I know who Les is. Uh, I've, I've gotten a lot of emails from him throughout the years. I've seen him talk a lot throughout the years. So I'm super excited. This is actually the first time Les and I have really talked for more than a, Probably a handshake meeting at a USASF Worlds or something like that. Uh, so, less for those who don't know who you are, know your background. Do you mind introducing yourself and telling us where you came from and what you're doing yeah. right now?
1: Sure, no problem. Um, you can hear me, okay, right? Absolutely. All right, sounds good. Um, well, first, let me say that hope those emails that you got from me were not a uh, you know bad emails that you were doing something <laughs> illegal and I was the bad guy. No. No, but anyway, um, yeah, uh, last Stella, I started cheerleading in 1983, started working for UCA in uh, 1984, teaching cheerleading camps. I'm um, from New Orleans, Louisiana, or really from southern Louisiana, because I've lived all over southern Louisiana, um, and then moved up to Memphis, and a number of different moves now. I live in Indianapolis, or Indiana, just outside of Indianapolis, um, but yeah, I... Cheered in high school, I in, in, in the '80s, so you know I'm old. So the, I coached after that. I worked for camps, teaching UCA camps. I was a head instructor and you know instructor, head instructor, all that kind of stuff. Um, started coaching cheerleading at the high school ranks because um, I was long before All Stars got started. Um, I was the the coach for Germantown High School. Um, if you're were into cheerleading in the 90s, you probably recognize Germantown High School, we were always on TV, um, with the, the freshman team, the JV team, the varsity team, always fighting for national championships and winning national championships. Um, yeah, so I did that for all the 90s, and then opened my own gym in Georgia, and then after that, or during that time, it's kind of, as we all know, that in the industry, that was the what we call the wild, wild west. Cause you go to one weekend into a competition and do or not do something. Then your score sheet says, Hey, you didn't do this. So you didn't get full you know, points. Mm-hmm. Go you put that in your routine the next weekend. And the, the next competition owner says, Hey, you did this. It's illegal. So you got points taken away. So it was just crazy. So I put together uh, on my own, I put together a, a national governing body. It was called the national cheer league. And, through time, I was—I was—you had a website, had marketing, all that kind of stuff, and I just was—I ran out of you know personal money that to, to get all this started, and so because I'd worked for Varsity, um, UCA slash Varsity, it's now become Varsity, for so long, I'd called Bill Seeley, Um mm-hmm. and Bill Seely's now the CEO of Varsity, and at one time I was his head instructor, um, so I have respect for Bill, and I, th- I hope he's got respect for me. I think he does. And so I called him and I said, "Hey Bill, I said, you know, I work for the company for a long time, and I've never asked for a single thing. Um, I'd like to call that favor now." And he was super nice. And he's like, "Yeah, sure, man, whatever you want." So I said, "I want two hours of your time and two hours of Jeff Webb's time." And Jeff Webb, as we all know, was the founder of Varsity and and uh, was the CEO at the time. And he said, "No problem, you know, bring it in." So I drove from Georgia up to Memphis. We set up a time, gave a whole presentation. Turned around, and looked at them, and they were had just these looks on their faces, and I was going, "Oh boy, is that a good look or a bad look?" And he'll say, well, we have we have good news for you. And we have bad news for you. I said, oh, "What's the bad news?" He goes, "Well, we just started or start, starting something called the USASF. Um, Jim Chadwick is going to run it for us, and uh, so you know we're, we're kind of already on doing what you're suggesting." I said, "Okay, then what's the good news?" And he said, "Well, we'd like for you to move back to Memphis because I was living there before coaching Germantown and working, you know, full time for varsity. I'd like for you to move back to our, back to Memphis, work for uh, the USA and help us, you know, get it started. We like a lot of the ideas you have." At the time, I was really happy with my gym. You know, we were doing well, had you know, building and growing, mm-hmm. and I had said, "No, you know, no thanks. Uh, I'll, I'll just go back to my gym." So driving back, um, long story short, um, talked to my business partner, and I said, "You know what? I am." Going to take that job in Memphis. So I left the gym. I think the gym stayed open for maybe another year, not even that long. And uh, I moved back to Memphis and helped start the USASF. And kind of the rest, you know, is history. I, I was the rules person, I was vice president of the rules. I was the rules person, uh, age grid. I brought a lot of different things to the industry like credentialing, um, level seven, mm-hmm. division two, uh, synchronized running, tumbling. Uh, non-tumbling division. I'm just trying to think. Well, the different global <laughs> division. And I just, you know, um, and, and I'm not the smartest guy in the world. That you know, look at me. I brought all this to the industry. I had so much help from so many great people, like Dana Fielding, who's now the rules yeah. person. And, mm-hmm. and took it took what I started. It took it to a whole new level. She's doing an incredible job. Um, super respect for uh, Dana. Ali Stangle, who's run the USASF, is mm-hmm. just knocking it out the box. Now she's doing an awesome job. Um, then. I was sorry, this, this is getting a little bit long, probably a longer That's answer okay. than you wanted. No. Uh, through time, the back in the day, USAF Jim Chadwick, for whatever reason, uh, told all the international people, hey, we're not going to deal with you guys anymore. We're just doing US, US people. And so a lot of those co- countries that I had gone to and, and, and been involved with helping them start cheerleading in their country They came to me and said, hey, Les, what's going on? I was like, I have no idea. So it's the first time hearing of it. And um, so a group of them got together and went to Jeff Webb and said, hey, we want you to start the IASF Mm -hmm. and we want Lestella to run it. So that's how I left the USASF and started the IASF. Um, Ran that for a while. Uh, Wasn't really happy with the direction it was going. And... Decided to to walk from that, so I spent eighteen months in a non compete from varsity, mm-hmm. and uh, then I, I helped start the WASF um, with Heidi and David Owens and and Jeb Harris, and you know uh, got that going. And um, after a year, I just I think this is just isn't the right fit for me. I like those guys, nothing you know, I wish them nothing but great future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just wasn't the right fit for me. And now I am uh working for uh Global Cheer and Dance uh, with Vaughn Sterling, great guy. Um really like the his 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 outlook on things and wanting to do things right for the kids and stuff like that. And I enjoy working and doing things with global cheer and dance. So uh yeah, that's kind of you know, there's a lot more to tell but sure, know, details yeah. behind all well, that. Yeah, well,
0: well I'll ask some pointed questions probably on like how certain things happened. And my first one though is how on earth did you start were you a part of starting USASF? How did you help launch all of these different things? Rules changes, age grids, all of those different things. And how on earth is your hair not white?
1: Uh, you I, know, you Funny thing is,
0: and you have a full head of hair. It's nice and blonde. I would not guess that you were coaching in '83. Like, and you you did all of that. Like, how how how?
1: I wasn't coaching in 83. I, that's when I started cheerleading. You know, okay. As, as, as okay. a seventeen-year-old 17 kid, um, yeah, I am. Uh, I'll be fifty-seven this Monday. As a matter of fact, on uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving. But um, you know, the funny thing is, this way off topic here, going through high school and you know college, I've always had, as you can see, a high forehead. You know, people always thought my hairline was receding. That's just how I was born. And I got a high forehead. And so every now and then I run to some old high school or college friends and like how in the hell do you still have hair you're all along before us? And they there's bald and everything. I'm going, guys, I just have, a, I always had a high forehead. It's just how it is. Um, yeah, I, I am glad I'm blind because that means I won't go gray sooner or later. I'll just go completely white, but you know, I won't go gray. I just, um, my beard the, the because, amount
0: of stress you know? that had to be involved with the position that you were in with USASF, Like I was, so I was coaching, um, at the time I was a world's level coach, uh, the year you guys released the whole, like no standing fulls, taking all of these things out. And it was like, I think it was like February and everyone was like, it's almost worlds. What are you doing? And, and the world exploded. Right. So you weathered those storms. You were the initial person, I think, taking a lot of those onslaughts. So tell me how you managed one, how did you manage through all that stress and two, why didn't you quit working the USASF sooner? Cause I can't imagine, um, it's a lot of fun all the time.
1: I, I'll tell you, yeah, I saw the world explode a bunch of times in cheerleading, <laughs> um, with every time I came out with a major decision. Um, and again, the funny thing was those decisions weren't mine. Those decisions were made above me, but I was the one tap, you know, tapped on the shoulders of, Hey, go, go break this news to everybody. Um hopefully i can't speak for everybody but hopefully people believe that i was always telling the truth that i was an honest person with integrity um that's you know being a a child of god is my first number one thing and raising my sons and being a role model for them is my number two thing um so i always did what was right and i could put my head down at night and sleep now i got chewed out cussed out you know more than you can believe by so many different people at worlds that. Mm-hmm on email on phones um midnight phone calls Somebody to call me up chew me out and then hang up on me you know all that kind of stuff that you can even make up your mind that it probably happened to me and i'm not complaining i'm not a victim i and that's the second part of your question um well let me finish the first answer the, the way i weathered all that stuff was i never took it personal because i coached for so long i coached you know so long in high school cheerleading, I kind of ran my own gym mm-hmm. and I'd put myself in, in let's say you, your shoes. I'd say, okay, Dan just got really mad at me. Let me put myself in his shoes. And if, if the person came along and said this to me, I'd be upset too. So I wouldn't take it personal. And that's one thing, funny thing that Dana always gives me credit when we talk, because Dana and I are still friends. We talk about once every two weeks on the phone, family stuff, like how's your kids, how's your, mm-hmm. you know, my kids, that kind of stuff. Um, not always about cheerleading but she always gives me credit. She goes, you know, you taught me how to weather the stuff. She goes, never take a personal, because it's not because if it wasn't me breaking the news and it was Dan Cotton breaking that news, well, Dan, they'd be chewing you out. Mm-hmm. So it's not Les Stella. They're chewing out, they're chewing out the, the position that I held. Yep. Um, and, I, and I understood their frustration because a lot of times we did things the wrong way. We, we did things in the wrong, not the wrong way as much as
0: things that shouldn't have been done, but the timing of it was always horrible. <laughs> horrible. It I mean, got it, it like, got better <laughs> with time. That one in particular. I can, I, I remember getting the email and that was a long time ago. Uh, I remember getting that email. Uh, so yeah, there were some moments at it's, it's such an interesting perspective. I, I actually love that. Um, I've talked about it before, so you don't know me, but my background is I was, I've been a police officer for 15 years full time and then I actually just recently left doing that to work in, uh, just in cheer. I've owned a business the entire time. Um, but I say the same thing. People would always be like, man, how can you have people, you know, cussing you out and, you know, saying they're going to do all these horrible things to you and your family. And I'm like, cause they don't know, they're not, they're, they're not yelling at Dan, they're yelling at officer cotton and that's, yeah, they're different yeah. people. They're yelling at the position, the uniform, the badge. So I, that makes sense. I can totally understand how that helped insulate you of like, well, they, they're they not yelling at less Stella person, less Stella they're yelling at." usasf scoring uh, rules coordinator right. less
1: yeah exactly you know i lost my cool one time and it was with I and mean, I, I, I wish I. all right i guess i could put do it now apologize to roger shonder casey jones and um i think it was king king uh i think king harris king harrison I the mm-hmm. remember. His last name. Mm-hmm. i think it's king harris um i was working on the NCA, you know dallas events and they had a rules of fraction um and they just kept coming back and, and saying, what about you know, this and this and that. And finally I, I blew up at them and man, I regret that. It's really the only time I ever lost my cool and, and, and yelled at somebody, raised my voice to somebody. And I just regretted it after that. And I never did it again.
0: So tell me from the rules perspective, did you enjoy seeing Jim's find all the gray areas in things that you did not clearly define and go, man, That was really creative how you got around that rule, but I'm going to make it illegal next year, or did it annoy you to see all of those ways that people would find routes around the rules?
1: No. Um, The only time I got annoyed is if when people would find a route around the rule that made it dangerous for the athlete. Mm -hmm. Because to be honest with you, I I love cheerleading. I I want it to be creative and fun and and always having new things come out. Um living in the gray area, what I did with Germantown cheerleading was funny because, you know, yes, we wanted to win our competition, our nationals competition and be on TV and all that kind of stuff. But our kind of number one goal was every time we went to a competition, whether we got first, second, third or 10th, we wanted to be the team that everybody talked about when we when they left the competition. You know, oh, yeah, sure, this team won, but did you see Germantown High School? That thing they did was incredible. We wanted to be that team that I talked about. So we always, I always try to come up with creative and different ideas and, and cool stuff. So I, I appreciate it um, when, when you have these incredible choreographers and coaches out there that come up with that stuff. Um, but at the same time, some of them do it for their, more for their own fame than they do, okay, is this actually dangerous for the athletes? And that's when I go, okay, come on, stop. <laughs> think about what you're doing and the chances you're taking with this athlete and the, the potential safety risks that you're, you're doing. Mm-hmm. You can be creative as you want to be, but you've just got to, that's second to being you know, keeping the kids safe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I had, I think you answered both of my questions. Um, so <laughs> as a rules coordinator at USASF, um, what was the best part of the job?
1: Well, I want to be, because people always associate me with the rules person. And yes, I was for, I, got, I don't know how many years, many, many years. Um, the original set of rules was written by Victor from Top Gun, mm-hmm. um, uh, Victor Rosario. And uh, that was the, the original, original set of rules. And now we, I added, not I, myself and the rules group, uh, the rules committee, we added some more uh, categories and stuff like that. And, you know, the nuances and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I did write the rules per se and physically my hand was on the paper writing, but, um, all, you know, all the credit goes to the rules committee and those kind of people that were on there and, um, not, not really to me. Uh, so, you know, again, there's, there's no crown on my head that was made me any kind of King or anything. I was just a person that was facilitating stuff. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Um, And I forgot what you asked me. Sorry. What What was in What did you enjoy most about the process of running the rules, like whether it be or, or coordinating or overseeing? Like, was it the collaboration? Sure. No, that's, an easy that's an easy answer.
1: I loved that we were giving coaches parameters because mm-hmm. um, they didn't have to go through what I went through and opened my gym. And you know, one weekend this, and the next weekend was a different set of rules. Um, I love the parameters, and we were actually turning all-star cheerleading into an actual legitimate sport. That's what I love the most about, the legitimacy that we, we gained in going forward. Um, and I'm sure you've traveled a lot with what you've done. Mm-hmm. You sit on the plane, and somebody will say, hey, what do you do for a living? And you're like, oh, God, here we go. I'm in cheerleading, and here, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so you got to explain it to him. Well, through time, I watched that change. I mean, you still get about half the people go what cheerleading, yep. but half the people go, oh yeah, my daughter's an all-star cheerleader, or my my best friend's got a daughter's an all-star cheerleader. They, they work their butts off; those kids are so athletic. So I saw the change in the industry and the general population respecting what we did, um, and that was all from putting consistent rules and, and um, levels. You know, again, levels. I brought level seven to the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, full credit, Kevin. Rubaker is the one who brought levels one through six of the industry through cheer sports. So that's a little history there. Uh,
0: yeah. And the level seven edition was a pretty, pretty cool. ad. I mean, I think at the time it was level six is technically what we added, but now mm-hmm. level seven, um, I I w- I am old enough to have been, I coached during the wild wild west for about three years. And then was a part of the very first USASF year and I, from the, I, I was at a very tiny little gym in Eugene, Oregon, and, uh, just coaching while I was cheering in college. And I can tell you that the, the whole bringing consistency thing, I mean, I felt it at that little gym. So it is accurate that that happened Uh, actually Justin Carrier and I just talked about it last, um, last week when I interviewed him, we were chatting about that wild, wild West era and. We were talking more on the score sheet side of things, but um, yeah, very, very true. So the IASF is not something people in the United States know a lot about. Now we do have listeners that are from Canada and almost everyone in Canada competes on the IASF score sheet. Um, Tell me a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about what, what it was like being in the ISF and, and trying to help build cheer internationally. like What was that experience like for you?
1: Fun. It was, it was a blast. You know, you go to England and they're just thirsty for knowledge. You go to Canada, they're thirsty and, and, and increasing their level, uh, not levels one, two, three, four, five, but their level of knowledge, their, mm. their level of talent. You go to Australia and oh my gosh, it was, it was incredible how quick they came on board yeah. and there's just like all these different places were just like sponges wanting information and help us and this. And they're just so polite and so nice and man, that, that was a blast. It, it was a true honor to be in that position in the right time on the right, you know, era for, for me in my career. It was, it was, it was a blast.
0: So, a uh, curious question. Uh, as someone who was in the ISF helping promote that, and I'm uh, actually good friends with Jabril, um, but mm-hmm. he's so darn busy now we don't ever get to like sit down and interview him like this. Um, with the ISF, uh, I've talked to people internationally about this concept. Um, actually, had a long conversation with uh, Luis Mercia a few years ago, talking about the challenges of ISF Worlds being in Florida every single year, because we actually, what I didn't understand is that we're not actually getting the best teams from these other countries. We're getting the best people who can get visas and can afford, the, and can the cost afford it. to go, which is incredibly expensive. He was saying how their are is where you'll have to pay $3,000 to apply for a visa and you might not even get it. <laughs> um, so. Was there? Has there ever been consideration to hosting it in other locations? <laughs> that might not be an open book concept or question. Um, uh, it's mm,
1: it's been brought up but never been considered. Okay. Um, I, I will give you this as far as the pros of being in Florida. Um, Disney, the Disney property is probably the safest property that mm-hmm. you could have an event like that for, for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not saying I'm not trying to promote Disney. I'm not trying to slam any other bodies else. Uh, but I will say that when you have it just like, it's almost like being an engaged community.
0: Um, yeah. The infrastructure it's, it's is a lot, outstanding. Yeah. It, it's, it's
1: much better. Now it's expensive. It's crazy expensive. Don't get me wrong. And I understand that. And I do feel sorry for, um, the people across the different ponds, as they call it, to uh, trying to come over here. I did have uh, Stephanie from Australia uh, reached out to me one time. And she goes, Les, can we not put it in you know, Australia one year and Canada? And she goes, we can't afford to come every year. We you want know, we, we, to we come every year. We just can't afford to do it. And I, I literally had to write back to her saying, maybe you should do it the way this team over here does it, and they do it every other year and, and they use it that one year in between to save up. And I hated writing that. I, I did. I hated to write that to her, but that's the only answer I had for her.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So, where do you see there being the most potential for growth internationally with cheer?
1: I think we've barely scratched the surface. I, I honestly do. That's not just you know hyper hyperbole. I, I truly believe that we have barely scratched the surface. Um, I, I don't think the Olympics is what some people are saying it's going to be. Uh, it's, I, I, it's, I'm not even the, the biggest fan of cheerleading going to the Olympics. I know a lot of people are going to crucify me for saying that, but, uh, it's, you have world, you know, the ICU worlds and it, I don't know. It's just, it, it doesn't really move the needle for me. Um, maybe some people, you know, I know a lot of people in America would be, I want to coach the Olympics at least one year. Okay. I get that. So you can say you're an Olympic coach. I get that. Mm-hmm. Some of the judges say, I want to, I want to judge the Olympics at least one year, you know, so I can have them resume. Ah, that's fantastic to be an Olympic judge. I get those little personal goals. Um, but I think the growth is going to come from the all-star market. I do. It's just more vibrant. It's more fun than the, uh, ICU model. um, it's more creative. Uh, yeah, I just think it's from the all-star market. It's gonna, that's where the growth is going to come from, especially the lower levels.
0: Yeah, I, I've i never been the hugest fan of the Olympic path. Um, I think there are really great things about the Olympics. I think the Olympics are wonderful. Um, but just being recognized as an Olympic sport, I don't think makes us Olymp- uh, a, a great sport. Um, there are really challenging events in the there's curling in the Olympics. I mean, are they athletes? I don't know. I don't, I don't do curling, but there are a number of, I would argue, I would argue, no, they're not athletes. There are a number of different sports that are in the Olympics that are not what we would consider the same tier. Football's not in the Olympics. Football's a sport. You're right. I mean, so it just, uh, they took wrestling out of the Olympics for a little while. Wrestling was the original sport.
1: Exactly. When I think Olympics, I think of the old Roman games, the the track and field, the swimming, the wrestling, the combat sports. I, I don't think skateboarding, um, breakdancing, cheerleading. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with those sports, but I think there should be another a separate you know, call it Olympics 2.0 or I don't know something, don't call it that, but you know, something other name that those things could go into. Yeah. I was actually a Um, fan of
0: the X games being a thing, you know, your extreme sports, that's like your own, your separate Olympics. Um, So yeah, I can see that not being necessarily the route forward for cheerleading and yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, I think people also thought it was going to be easier. There was that Let, initial
1: me that. Let me explain why I said that. In cheerleading in other countries, not I'm not USA, and I watched this firsthand, this is not hearsay. Every time you go to a new country and they're starting cheerleading, they're starting with the 15, 16, 17, up to 25-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So you still have that hole underneath where our biggest market is the the youth and the smaller kids. You, you haven't even completely tapped into that market yet in other countries. Mm-hmm. Cause they start with the older kids who see it on YouTube. So like that, and want to do it. And um, I'll never forget in the beginning of Australia, you know, um, what was the, out, uh, the, yeah, the outlaws. Um, mm-hmm. uh, David James is a great guy. Uh, he's the owner of uh, outlaws. It was Rosemary uh, James. And um, then she gave it to David James, her stepson. But I remember talking to some of the athletes on their team one was a lawyer, literally a lawyer. The other was a doctor <laughs> and there were a couple and I'm looking, I'm going, holy crap. You know, these, these people are really into cheerleading, but they have real full-time life, other careers that are going on. And we were, it was kind of funny because in, in the U S at that time, nobody who's a lawyer or doctor were doing cheerleading. They've got kids now who did cheerleading, who've become lawyers and doctors and may still do a little bit of coaching and stuff like that. But it was kind of everything was in reverse there or in all these other countries. So building from the top
0: down in the other countries is where the growth is going to come from. Very interesting. So now we see, I think Canada is a great example. Granted, Canada is like our neighbor, right? They're just right above the U.S. So they get a lot of, it's a little bit easier for them. You know, it's not like the U.K. where they have to fly over here or Australia. Right, um, right. Westernized countries, all the same kind of opportunity uh, infrastructure in place to be able to host a cheer gym. Um, I know there are way bigger complications in some other countries where maybe they aren't as modernized. They don't have as much accessibility, different poverty lines, those kind of challenges. But Canada a while ago wasn't really in the mix. And now they have some gyms that are crushing oh, yeah. it. And, and really, Absolutely. really, you're starting to see more and more industry professionals come out of Canada as well. It, it kind of was a, there was a period of time where it was just, everyone was from the U S and now you're seeing these people who are highly respected experts also out of Canada with the cheer sport sharks, with Liz from Vancouver, all stars, um, with PCT, we've got some really amazing programs. Absolutely. Up there. Um, Do you know, did they build from the top down as well? Or how did, do you know any of their, their background with how cheer?
1: I would think like you said, because Canada's in such close proximity of America, I think, I don't think they built strictly from the top down like uh, Australia and England and others other countries did. I think they more of kind of built all at the same time, not from the ground up and not from the top down, just all, all those levels Mm -hmm. for the most part came on. Um, not like a big at once, but you know they built. I, I just don't think the top levels built than the bottom levels, or the bottom levels built than the top levels. I, I think it was uh, just kind of they all slowly got it together. But it, but you're right. There's amazing teams in Canada, um, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's England and Australia. <laughs> They're doing well also. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I you know. I wish. How do I say this without, you know, without making people mad, I wish, uh, some upper level people could get their heads on straight and work it out with Japan. Cause you want to talk about precise, mm-hmm. incredible talent. Japan's loaded. Mm-hmm. Japan is loaded.
0: Yeah. And actually, their,
1: their synchronicity is beyond
0: compare. Yeah. They're, they're very, very talented over there. They've got a lot of good things, good things going. I actually had some of my, my yeah. camp staff, I run a camp company. That were just over in japan this summer uh traveling and and teaching and working with it wasn't through my company but they had the opportunity to go i was very jealous i love japan one of my favorite countries yeah i've been there twice um both for cheerleading and enjoyed both times immensely um so now you are you're working for a competition company um which global cheer and dance uh and global i don't i don't i've never competed global Uh, cheer and dance. So I don't know a ton about their events, but I know from kind of what I've heard, their focus is on delivering a great product for the athletes and that a lot of their clients are mid to small gym. Primarily, or do you have some large gyms that are also like, where's the focus there?
1: I think the word primarily is a good way to put it. Primarily it's, it's mid to small gyms. Um, Vaughn started this uh, event, producing company uh two years ago this is the third year um and it, now i've it kind of brought me in to say hey where am i where am i missing and where, where can where can you help me um and you know i've, I've made some changes here and there we're, we're going to have some different changes going on as, as as we grow um and really be on fire next year uh but as far as like any major gyms then no not that i can think of there's not 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 yet I said, but you know i'll I say time's coming
0: so tell a little bit if you if you can what the experience has been like transitioning from looking at things on this literal global level like literally factoring in the entire us working on the world all star federation all of those other things to now coming down to this micro level and seeing in person <laughs> these like mid and small size gyms in small underserved areas even in the states what has that been like?
1: It's a great question. That's a great question. It's been refreshing. Um, we had an event two weeks ago, two weekends ago, and I was walking around, you know, doing stuff, you know, working. And one of the I only knew, like, I think three coaches there. And uh, one of them, all three of them actually came up to me and talked to me about this in one way or another. But I'll just quote one of them saying, Les, it's really funny to see you here because. If you walk around worlds, everybody knows you. You walk around here, almost no one knows you. And I was like, you know, it's really funny. And I appreciate you saying that, you know, this the respect that you just gave me. But th- th- it's really funny to see the other side of cheerleading. Because, again, like you said, I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything. But, yes, I've, I've worked, you know, I was the, the competition director for worlds for so many years. And I saw the top gyms in the world, uh, you know, friends with Victor and Kristen and Jody Melton, and I'm going to leave out other elite gems. I don't mean to, um, but cheer extreme and stingrays, all these gems, you see all these great gems, you know, world cup and everybody. And so you get used to that and you forget there's a whole nother huge portion of gems out there who have nothing to do with worlds, no desire to go to worlds. They've got their level one and two, maybe three teams mm-hmm. and they're loving life and they're good, gr- really good coaches because mm-hmm. yes, yeah. you, you look at uh give me a, give me a, 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 a so I don't, I don't call money out and hurt my else's feelings. Give me a, an elite coach that you can
0: think of. Um, well, gosh, I know the same ones. Um, <laughs> uh, well, she's a great friend. We'll go with Callie Seitzer. Okay. Callie Seitzer she is a great
1: coach can make a team look great and she's good with the kids. But i I sit there and I watch so many other coaches who only have level one and two teams to me or that are just as good coaches. They can't put a world team out there, but they're not trying to what they are doing is giving these kids a home that they feel safe, that they feel comfort that, that they love and you're helping them grow these children to me. That's what makes a good coach. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, Now you got to be competitive. You know, uh, I used to do, as you know, I used to do seminars all the time. And one thing I used to say is, "Sucking sucks." (laughs) (laughs) It's not okay to come out there and suck at a competition. You know, your your kids are going, their kids are going to hate it after a while and they're going to quit. So you got to get better and be competitive as a coach and as a gym, as a team. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying don't be competitive, but that to me is second. And I know it sounds cheesy and corny, but it's definitely second to raising and bringing those kids up and making them better
0: adults. Absolutely. Making them
1: better humans after they leave you
0: than when they showed up. Yep. That is um, that is one of the most important jobs that we have at the end of the day is a world's ring, uh, a summit ring, uh, whatever, banner, championship, jacket. If you're doing that at the expense of making great people, you're, in my opinion, you're missing the mark of what our our sport really is about. Absolutely. Uh, because we're not getting all years- contracts to professional sports now, for millions of dollars
1: out of all the years that i coached both at, in high school levels and my all-star gym and all the you know now that i've been out of all that stuff the actual coaching side of it for so many years and you know facebook can be a great thing can be a bad thing being a great thing so many of those kids have grown up now and have sent me sentimental messages mm-hmm. saying i remember this time that we did this i remember this thank you for helping me be a better person. thank you for this thank you Not one, not a single one has ever said, hey, do you remember the time we won that championship? And we won plenty of championships, so I'm not saying we weren't competitive. But none of them, that's not what they remember. They remember that time of practice that this happened. This, you know, the different, and people say, it's not the destiny, it's the journey. That's so true. I mean, I know, again, it sounds so cliche and all boring to say that stuff, but it really is true. That's what the kids are going to remember when they leave. And are they a better person once they leave you than when they showed up? Um, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. I can I can see this little girl. I'll never say her name because it'd be an insult to her, but she was talentless. She had <laughs> zero talent. She was not qualified to be on any cheerleading team, mm-hmm. but she was on one of our little bitty level one teams at our gym, and she was the happiest. Y- you just love to be around this kid. Could she do a, a back walkover? No. Could she do a back straight? No. She'll, she never would be able to do those kind of things but she was the happiest, most happy-go-lucky, always had a smile, always loved everybody. Um, You could tell at school she was picked on and nobody really liked her. Our gym was her home. Our gym was where she felt, this is where I belong.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that, that to me, meant the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, That is, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing that we can accomplish uh, in cheer and, I love that story because you hear so often, you know, how do I, how do I get better kids? How do I find more athletes that have these skills? Um, as much as there are those gyms that you meet that don't want to have a world's team, you still talk to those teams that are like, we, we want to have a world's team next year. And it's like, well, you have a level three and nothing else. I'm not sure that's the right progression. And have you thought through what that means? Um, you know, being out in Oregon. Um, we've been the only world's team to like continue to exist since 2000. We've been to worlds every year since West coast extreme started taking world's teams. And I used to joke when these gyms would like go to start a world's team, they'd be like announced that, you know, we're offering world's team next year. I'd be like one, I'm not intimidated, like welcome to the club. And two, I'm going to send you a couple real big bottles of vodka because you have no idea <laughs> what you're buckling up for. Um, I mean, it's a whole, it just opens a whole nother can of worms and it can be a great experience, but like the stress of getting world's bids is real, (laughs) like, especially when you're new, it's, it's a stressful experience and world's kids come with complications. Everyone thinks, Oh, I'm going to start a world's team and we're going to make so much more money. Well, world's kids don't like to pay. like historically, you know, they, Oh, I got a double, which means now I don't pay. Um, you know, those kind of attitudes have been rampant in the cheer world. So, um, I think it's great when you meet those gyms that are like, no, we're really happy doing what we do. And we, uh, this is our identity. Our identity is we're great at level one through three, or we're great at building that family in that community. So I hear you on that one. Um, if you were to give advice to small gyms, uh, small, mid-sized gyms, having kind of seen the different, different sides of cheerleading, having been a gym owner yourself who are wanting to, wanting to grow their program. Do you have any, like any bits of advice, any nuggets of knowledge that might help them, you know, get more members, grow their program, become more, more successful?
1: Yeah, I, again, it depends on if you're talking about strictly marketing or how to run your gym. Um, marketing, I'll tell you what we did, and it helped us grow when I opened my gym. Because um, we, were, we were in an area with another gym, but they were kind of far away and they had a bad reputation. So every time a kid registered, um, we added $5 on and gave them a free T-shirt. And it, it wasn't a beautiful T-shirt, but it was our gym name. And I think it was our maybe our website or something like that, or mm-hmm. our, our phone number on. I think it was our phone. I don't, know, I don't remember, something like that. Um, and those kids warm to school and we started getting, I saw my, my friend Susie had the shirt on and I wanted, you know, I wanted to call and find out what this is about. You know, my daughter said, she's got a friend who does all this. And, you know, so that's just helped that helped us. And it was easy. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have to go spend money in commercials and or anything like that, but it was an easy a marketing to just give away free t-shirts with our, again, it wasn't like the t-shirt everybody wanted to have, but it was right. a t-shirt um, as far as, you know, another thing, marketing, I gotta remember we used to do this, uh, it was not that really people don't really go to malls that much anymore, but mm-hmm. we used to do a local mall exhibition. And the thing about that is that's when we just threw the rules out the window. We put the big kids, with the little kids holding them up and any little kid walking around with their mom mm-hmm. who saw a little girl over there being held up by bigger kids. I wanted to be in that gym right there. So yeah, that, that works really well. Um, so as far as the gym aspect of it, you've got to understand, yes, you're there for competition, but your job is to make kids fall in love with the sport. Cause if they go home miserable, they're not bringing their friends. They're not talking good about you. Mm -hmm. If they love the sport, if they love what you're doing, if they have a good time, they're going to talk about it and you're not going to grow. You may pick up some 15, 16, 17 year olds, but not very many. Mm Mm-hmm your market that's going to build your gym for the future is coming from those lower levels, little kids. And so it's, it's really about having that again, I hate to sound cheesy and cliche, but it's about having a positive atmosphere. It's about, um, just making the kids love what they do. Love cheerleading, enjoy it.
0: Yep. And, and at the gym, right. I've, I've talked about this before, but on average, depending on how many competitions you go to, your kids are going to actually be at competition and engaged in the warm up or the competition process for like ten, maybe thirteen hours at a season. Mm-hmm. So a fraction of a percent of the time that goes into a given season is spent in competition. Yet the bulk of our focus is on that and and making that event a big deal. And if you make it all about that 13 hours of time in your season, you're reckoning for disappointment. You need to make it about the gym and coming to practice, being fun, coming to practice, having a purpose. Like, yes, the ultimate goal is competition, but if coming to the gym is not something people want to do, then people aren't going to continue to stay. They're not going to return. They're not going to refer people. So I love, I love what you were saying because that's, it sounds very similar to that concept, like invest in the kids and make them fall in love with the sport.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, as you as you said, when we first started this, you've seen me talk, give talks before. Um, and that's one, one of the main things I used to talk about was watch your tongue. So many coaches try to show off in front of their friend, their other coaches and show what, a you know, what, a, excuse my language, what a badass they can be. And they can talk to these kids and they can whatever, blah, blah, blah. But you're not making it. You're not making that kid love the gym. The, the funny thing is, as a coach, we kind of have the best job in the world, but also the worst job in the world. The best job because we get to nurture and raise kids. Um, the, the worst job in the world because our job is to pick out the negative things. Right. You're you're watching them do stuff and pick out what they're doing wrong and fixing them. Now it depends on how you do that, because you can have you know, four or five stunt groups go up, and you can go down the line and say, "Okay, you do fix this. You fix that. You did this. You did this. You this." And you just did that kind of a drive-by coaching, and not realizing on that third stunt, you didn't say anything different. You said the other stunt, but that one kid went home and said, "Mom, I think I'm going to quit because the coach hates me." And you're, you don't even realize you said anything wrong. Um, I'm not saying you got to sugarcoat and babyfoot every little kid out there. I'm not saying sure. that at all. But just be careful with what you, with your, your your tone can be a, a dagger in the heart, or or can and it can make kids love the sport, which I keep going back to, just making kids love the sport and enjoying stuff.
0: So we've been talking for a minute and I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but my, my last question I like to ask people is I, I vary it up in terms of how I present it. So if you found that magic lamp, you rubbed it, the genie popped out and he said, you have three wishes. You can change anything you want in the cheer industry. Your wish will be granted. What would those three wishes be? Well, and you, you don't have to do three wishes if you can't think of them
1: no that's fine that's fine um i, I probably won't be up with three but i'll try my first one would be to unite all of the cheer industry starting with america starting within the u.s um it's almost back to the wild wild west again
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's getting really fractured um i do think there's ways to fix that uh but yeah to get everybody united to we, where we can build the sport. Um, I'll just leave it there. That's that's that would yeah. be my number one, my number one wish. Uh, number two would be, no no kids would get injured again. Hmm. That's that's one thing that gets almost. it's just every time I'm at a at a event or somebody's gym or anywhere, and I see a kid roll an ankle, it just turns my stomach. Mm-hmm. Uh, much less the, the injuries that are worse than that um because nobody wants wants that for any kid no you know it's like my son just got finished his senior year in high school playing football and when a a player's down on the field neither side of the stands are cheering because somebody got hurt from the other team Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a true feeling of come on young man get up we want you to be okay Mm -hmm. you know you may be on the opposing team we might not like your school we might not like your team but we don't wish you to be injured mm-hmm. and that's how i feel about the cheerleading world i'm like gosh man i hate all these I hate injuries again that's why if, i don't know if you remember you probably do dan um back in the day i came up with the uh incomplete twisting rule
0: mm-hmm. penalty oh, remember. at
1: remember world um and i can tell you the the amount of knees that got blown out on double fulls dropped drastically yep at worlds yep. um and people were mad at me for that like, oh, you do? I'm like, okay. And then the first team that went out there, I'll never forget this first team went out there had four girls who d- had double fouls were not finishing them. They're finishing about two and three quarters, I mean, one and three quarters, and then switching around. And I told the coach, said, "You're gonna get docked on those." And this coach did not believe me. They got docked on them. Well, the word spread like wildfire through worlds. You know, if you don't, if you double not landing your double full all the way around, take it out, self, they penalize you. And yeah, I remember saying. Coaches, I could name them, and you would recognize their names, and go. They'd say, "Hey, you, you're doing a single day, but coach, no, you're doing a single day. We're not next penalty." And while I felt bad for the kid because she worked so hard to get a double. She really didn't have a double. She had a right. one and three quarters. Yep. And yep. under under the lights and all that kind of stuff, she's gonna be safe. Um, so I just yeah, I wish that you know we could get rid of the injuries. It's not possible. You know, every sport has injuries, but it's it's one thing that guess me. Like I was the third one I was actually was a fan of
0: that rule, just so you know. I was, I, I, so, um, when I was in college, I cheered at U of O, we competed at USA nationals and I don't know if you even know this happened, but there was, uh, a year where this was back when we wouldn't stop routines when people got hurt, right. You just yeah. keep going. Um, and a guy threw a double, um, cause you could double in college at that point and, uh, broke his femur. He was last pass Mm. and he was on pyramids from California, broke his femur. And it was an amazing, like everyone went nuts because he got dragged off by people like down by the stage, he got dragged off and they still did their whole pyramid and hit and ended up winning. And it was like really cool, but also like hindsight 2020, it's like not cool at all. This guy broke his freaking femur. And there was actually another person, who broke their femur that weekend, doing a double same spot, same corner. Um, and so I saw that live and in person and I'd seen kids injure their knees on double foals and that's just, I'm with you that I, so far your two you wishes know, I'm on board with hundred percent.
1: You know, what, Dan, the funny thing is, and I'm not saying you were an idiot when you were younger, cause I believe we all are idiots when we're younger, including myself. Yeah, it was cool to see the California team win, even though the guy broke his femur and then they did the pyramid. It was a great, great, great moment. As a kid, I would be thinking that, wow, that was awesome. Yep. But as an adult, I'm I'm thinking more realistically yeah. and like that's not safe. Yep. You know, because he broke his femur, they pulled him off. He may be the base of this next pyramid, and they try to do it and somebody else gets hurt and breaks a neck. Yeah, that's just it's not yeah.
0: as, as
1: as the leaders of the industry, as the adults, not even the leaders, just the adults of the industry, we need to be smarter and safer with the athletes.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, hundred percent. I'm, I'm all for that. And that was definitely a, as a kid, I was like, that's so cool. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh my God, we should have stopped that routine. And I'm, I, now I have medical knowledge. So I'm like broken femur. You can sever your artery. Like there's a, there could be way more than just a broken bone there. Like, holy moly, we got to be responding differently to those kind of things. Um, okay. So you have one more wish. one more wish we've, uh, we've united the community and we've reduced (laughs) injuries. Eliminated. Um.
1: It, I, I wish we could find we could start growing the sport again, because I do. I think it's like I said before. I alluded to it. I actually said this. I think all star gyms and and all star cheerleading is the best sports around. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, my oldest son just got finished playing his senior year in in high school football. Um, he was a starter. He was a the the one of the leaders of the team, one of the caps of the team, and uh, a linebacker and all that kind of stuff, all the the accolades you can give him. I'm I'm so proud of him. But that's just because he happened to be a bigger kid, stronger kid, faster kid, smarter kid. Um, Football doesn't have that open arms to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a smaller, weaker, slower kid. You're getting hurt. You're not playing football. Um, You've got to fit a certain mold. Um, Matter of fact, you know, I'm 5'7". My son is 6' he's not going anywhere past high school. <laughs> he, he's not even gonna try. He don't want to play in college. Um, so all star cheerleading to me is the best f- sport out there. hundred percent there. Because it doesn't matter your sex, your gender, your, your, your race, your body type, uh, okay, whatever else, what other category you want to throw out there? It doesn't matter that stuff. There's a place for every kid to be in all-star cheerleading. It's like I told about before and I had my gym, we had that little girl head who literally was talentless, mm-hmm. but loved being in the gym. I mean, she hated it on the days we, we were closed because she wanted to be in the gym. She just wanted to be there all the time because she loved it. And that's where she felt like she was at home. And so that's why I think every kid has a spot in, in the uh, cheerleading world. I do wish, uh, a, a fourth wish, where we could, we could get more males in the sport. Mm-hmm. I think that's a dying breed.
0: It is. And you see it directly with the, the death of large coed. Yep. Um, which I have my own opinions on some of the challenges there, but more males. All right, I'm
1: listening. I'm listening. (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, when they, when they all go to four gyms, uh, it, it becomes a a challenge, but uh, that would be fixed by getting more in. Um, but I agree. I mean, growing the sport is something that we in next gen are really trying to help gyms do. Um, and find those lower barrier ways to get started in the sport because pitching to someone who's never done all-star cheerleading, Hey, I want you to join an elite team and it's going to cost you $5,000 plus travel. Um, that's a harder sell. You, you just, you, you limit your market a little bit more. Um, and even people who could afford that are going to be a little less likely to want to partake because unless they just have a lot of discretionary income, and they don't know that mm-hmm. their kid's going to like this. Um, which is why you need those, those funnels. You need your, your novice and your prep and your half year and like all those other ways for people to get started and start to fall in love with the sport. So they're more excited about doing those elite opportunities. Um, but yeah, growing the sport is huge and, and more males was actually going to go to one of the things I was saying when you were talking about how different our sport is, we're the only sport that is a team sport that doesn't really have a bench that has a the concept of everyone participates. If you're on the team, you're out there contributing in some way, shape or form. You may be a front spot and you may, you may jump front and do one tumbling pass and base a prep in the pyramid. But if you don't have that kid who's basing that prep in the pyramid, you can't do it. So everyone is contributing in some fashion. It's the only sport that truly is co-ed by design. Yeah. Like you can, yep. you can have like a rec co-ed soccer team or rec co-ed basketball, but like there, we are the only one that truly is designed to do that, which makes us really unique. Um, and man, I would love to see it because the co-ed divisions are so amazing. I was just at the TG takeoff this last weekend, um, and got to be in the gym and watch double O and I got to watch TGLC and some of those things. And what they, what Victor and Kristen do there is so amazing. Um, Oh, absolutely. But absolutely, seeing those coed, I mean, the all girl teams are amazing too, but just. There's a difference between coed and all girl and they're amazing differences, but man, it's cool. And it's, I used to have a large coed way back in the day, we were able to field one for like four years and I would kill to be able to go back to a large coed worlds team. So what happened to it? Uh, we just. Really, uh, honestly, a bunch of the gyms in our area closed. And so the amount of gyms that were actually fielding males, getting started in cheerleading decreased, uh, and a lot of our boys who were on the team for years, graduated, moved, moved on. And we just gradually slow COVID was the death nail for us. So COVID hit. hit. Yep, yep. that was our last year of large co-ed. We weren't really able to recruit. And went to open for a couple of years to kind of keep things going. And now we're back into the small co-ed. So we're gradually adding back in, but it's just hard. We don't have a huge funnel of boys in our program, even when we try. Uh, And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, I refuse to pay for boys to cheer. I won't tell a girl that they have to pay for cheerleading, but because someone is a male, they get free tuition. Um, I just think it's unethical. So I won't do that. So that does limit my ability to get boys in cheerleading because I've I mean, all my data shows that parents are less likely to support their boy wanting to cheer than they are their girl.
1: Um I can relate to that. That's how it was when I was when I was you know, this is back in the eighties, but (laughs) you know, my my dad was like, You're doing what? (laughs) And then when I started working in cheerleading, oh, he was he was not happy. He was not supportive of me actually you know, trying to build a career in cheerleading. And I kind of understand him and agree with him. You know, as a matter of fact, when I was coaching in high school, you know, anytime time a uh, seniors, and you know, we had tons of seniors come through the program, they'd come up to you, hey, coach, should I cheer in college? And my answer was always the same. Your freshman year, your sophomore year, absolutely. It's fun. You get to meet a lot of people. You're an ambassador of the school. You can, you know, network a lot of people and have a great time cheering. Your junior year, stop cheering. Your junior, senior year, it's time to go from kid to adult and what your career going to be. And there's really no careers in cheerleading, Um, you know, compared to the you know, other, other world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, I can relate to why my dad was upset, but it's, I agree with what you said.
0: Yeah. Well, so we just got to find a man. We got to find that genie, find that bottle. I agree. All those right. things would solve some significant problems in the industry. Um, not that there aren't others, uh, but yeah, well, we have uh, just like, Two minutes, any parting words, anything you want to add, tell our listeners. Um, almost ended on a negative note, anything, there's a lot of positive in this industry and there's a lot of great things happening. Um, but any, any last parting words of wisdom, words of advice for gym owners, uh, to help them.
1: Um, from gym owners, don't make it us. You against the parents, you got to get yourselves on the same team. I see that a thousand times. Um, you know, a lot of parents, parents in my gym, I know no, the parents of your gym, are no different than the parents in the other gym. It's been spent, it's, it's just like when 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 people say, Well, we're not good because the kids that are in our area aren't this, they aren't that. I'm like, That's not true. I'm like, So let's take World Cup. If the kids in, if, that are born around Freehold, New Jersey, were born around your gym. And the kids around your gym were born in Freehold, Jersey. You would now be as good as World Cup. No, World Cup would still be World Cup because of their structure, their environments, their coaching. You know that that's what makes them World Cup. Mm-hmm. So you got to change. You gotta, instead of looking at your kids, look at your parents. Look in the mirror. Coaches do the same thing. You know, so many coaches are like it's not my job to motivate them. Um, that's almost <laughs> for you to motivate your kids. So look in the mirror and enjoy what you're doing. If you don't enjoy it, get out bottom line. If you don't enjoy coaching, get out of coaching, but if you enjoy it and you really like working with the kids, always learn, always be willing to grow and become better, um, and make it more
0: enjoyable for the kids. I love that. I totally agree. Well, Les, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your time. I hope all of our listeners enjoyed it. Um, you have a wealth of knowledge. Uh, wealth of experience in the industry and and from someone who came up, I know that you're out of a lot of those positions, but I want to thank you for all your hard work uh, because your legacy carries on. Um, everyone thank who you. helped create those things and and those initiatives, um, and I I always appreciated how you were willing to hear feedback and listen and learn and try and make things better. So... From the gym owner who's been through it, from the world's coach who's been there through the whole process, I just want to say thank you for for everything that you have done uh, within the industry, and it's really cool to see you getting back to kind of that like grassroots style of cheerleading. Uh, and I hope that that's a, a really amazing experience for you.
1: Well, I do have some other things coming down the pipeline, so okay, you know, look be on the lookout.
0: So not just staying in the grassroots of cheerleading. Uh, no. Okay. Well, uh, when you're ready to talk about those things, let's get you back on the podcast and you can tell all of our listeners about those things once they're ready to launch. Sounds good, Dan. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, brother. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cheer Biz Podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click the link in our description to apply. If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.